Last Sunday morning, I began with a statement, and it still rings true, and I'm sure for you who have been there, you know what it's like if you've ever been to a park or an event of some kind, and your child may have wandered off, and you wondered where they were, and you wondered what happened or what took place, and how soon it will be before you can find them. You understand a little bit of the heart of James as he begins to finish up his thoughts on this subject. If you've ever read a newspaper clipping or seen a story on television of a student who has gone off to college and for whatever reason didn't come back to their dorm or apartment that night, you get a feeling for what it must be like for the heart of a parent. I'm sure for those of you who are raising children to know what that must feel like to not know where your son or your daughter is. If you've ever had someone that you know in your family who is very close to you, who at one time or the other walked with God, came to church on a regular basis, seemed interested in spiritual things, for whatever reason has drifted from the faith, no longer attends, doesn't seem to want to have the same conversations that they once had, doesn't seem to want to talk about spiritual things at all, then you know again the heart of James as he writes and wraps up his thoughts in this particular section of Scripture. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, it seems like it's disconnected from the rest, but it's not. When James says, my brothers and sisters, this pastor's heart comes out in these last few verses. If any one of you should wander from the truth and someone bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. These last few thoughts of James from 13 on that we've spent a month and a half in is really one unit of thought. James' pastor's heart comes out. He said, if you're suffering, let us help. If you need someone, call. If you can't deal with it on your own, let us know. We want to be there for you. If you're suffering, tell us. If you're happy, sing with us. If you're sick, call for us, and we'll be there for you. And if one drifts away from the truth, let us do everything we possibly can to bring them back. All over the pages of these last few verses is the heart of a pastor who deeply loves his people, who in this case are scattered all over Asia Minor, who have gone through enormous difficulty, who his biggest fear is will wander away from the truth. If you remember anything about the original New Testament story when the Spirit of God landed on them after Jesus ascended and said, you go, you wait, you pray, Spirit of God will come. And after he did, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came to faith in Christ. They gathered together, listening to the apostles teaching on a regular basis. They couldn't get enough of church, couldn't get enough of one another. Acts tells us they loved each other, they prayed for one another, they ate fellowship together with each other, they encouraged one another, they helped out one another. If another brother was in need, they helped them, they encouraged them, they loved them, they prayed with them and for them. And then all of a sudden the dispersion came in Acts chapter 8, the persecution of Christians came all over Israel at that time and all over that Middle Eastern section and people began to scatter everywhere. And now they're writing back to James saying, this is really hard. What do we do? How do we stay together? What can we do to each other? What can we do for one another? And James begins to answer some of those questions all the way through the pages of James 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And you've got to believe that one of his biggest concerns for that group of people who were so in tune with God, so loved Jesus, so were concerned for one another, now that they're scattered all over the place, may not be in church on a regular basis, may not even be able to find a church on a regular basis, will they stay connected? 
In the original prayer this morning when I began, we think of the founding of this nation, which is what one of the things this weekend is all about. You're going to see a clip at the end. But I, I still go back to the heart of God when the nation of Israel was rescued out of Egypt and God established them and founded them and gave them so many unbelievable blessings. He said, my biggest concern is that you'll forget. My biggest concern is that you'll forget and that you'll be more interested in the gifts than the giver and that you will forget the price that was paid. You will forget that I rescued you. You will forget that I'm the one that blessed you, that I'm the one that poured myself into you, that I'm the one that gave you all that you enjoy. My biggest concern is that there will come a day when you will forget. Obviously, our nation is uh, in a situation that we are so concerned about that I've got to believe has the heart of God weeping at times because we know, really clearly understand how we have been founded. And it seems as if when you watch some of the things that take place in our nation, we seem to have forgotten. James is concerned about that with his people. You'll notice in the beginning of this section when he talks about my brethren, he is inferring about people in the church, anyone among you, anyone among you, infers that it's a definite possibility. It can happen to anyone in the community of faith. Any single one of us can drift at one time or the other, stray, wander, even sometimes lose our way. The title of the sermon comes from the hymn, Prone to Wonder, Lord, I Feel It. Prone to Leave the Lord I Love. You're sitting here this morning saying, I'll never do that. I love God. I sing these songs this morning. I love Jesus. But you know deep inside your soul, all of us know that. Even was prayed this morning in our elders' gathering. That if we're really honest with ourselves, all of us at one point or the other, if we're not careful about our relationship with God, have a tendency to drift away. The excitement, the passion, the enthusiasm, couldn't get enough of worship, couldn't get enough of church, couldn't get enough of the Word of God. For all of us in this room, if we're honest about our journey, one point or the other may have had those moments in time where we're just not as enthused as we were and have a tendency to wander or drift away. Even if it's drift away for a moment or for a, a year or for some a long time. James says, I just need you to know it could happen to any of you, any among you. You've got to remember that he's writing to people who are left, not those who have already drifted away. They're probably not going to read this letter. So he's writing to those who are there in churches all over Asia Minor saying, look, I want to be really honest with you. Any one of you could drift away. Don't ever, ever take your relationship with Jesus for granted. Don't ever let it wane cold, because any one of us could drift away. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. The Bible refers to us as sheep. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray, which is why we need a Savior in the first place and a shepherd now. James identifies two ways that we can stray. Verse 19, from the truth. What we know is true, and all of a sudden we begin to veer this way or that way. And the second way we can drift from the truth or drift is from our way. Our way of life, our pattern of behavior, the passion that we may have once had, the enthusiasm, the things that we used to say no to. Every parent in this room, if we're really honest about our journey, the things that we wouldn't have tolerated in our rooms, our homes, our televisions years ago or 20 years ago almost seems as if it doesn't matter anymore. We all have a tendency, if we're not careful, to see our pattern of behavior, the way of life that we once established in our relationship with Jesus Christ, begin to drift and to wane. There are a number of reasons. I didn't write them in your sermon note this morning. You can jot them down if you want to. But there are a number of reasons people drift away from the church. Sometimes, to be honest with you, when I pray with people last Sunday morning, it's disappointment with God. 
We don't say it, we don't talk much about it, but there are a number of times that I've had conversations with a lot of people who love God, but then God doesn't do something they had thought he would or didn't answer a prayer they hoped he would, or tragedy occurs where a wife dies too early, a son or a daughter dies in an accident, and we don't get it, we don't understand, and we get angry with everybody else, and we get angry with God. And we find that sometimes, if we're really honest, hard to get back into that relationship with God. We feel like we let him down. We don't talk about it. We don't say much about it, but we feel like God let us down. He didn't answer it the way we wanted. And we prayed for that son or daughter when they walked out that night or, or drove away that night and it didn't return. And the police officer came to our door and somebody told us what happened to our son or a daughter or a mom or a dad and we get angry and frustrated. And sometimes tragedy or unanswered prayers cause us to drift away. And I've heard it said, I've, I've heard a number of people that I'm really, really close to say, Sometimes when you go through those difficult circumstances and those tragic situations that you don't understand, one of the most difficult things for you to do is come back to church and to worship. Sometimes if that's the last place you saw that casket of your loved one, it's hard to get back in sometimes, that pattern of behavior where we come to church on a regular basis. And some of you may have been there and you don't understand why God did that. Or you know someone who's been there and all of a sudden they find themselves drifting. Another reason that people drift away is either disillusionment with a pastor or with a church. A church that was on fire for God, a pastor was on fire for God, preached the Word of God on a regular basis, stayed consistently in the Word of God, seemed to not be what it used to be. Maybe the church doesn't have the same things or do some of the same things that it used to, and, and then you get frustrated and you get kind of disillusioned. I know it's hard for you to believe, but pastors every once in a while let people down. I know that's a shock to some of you. But every once in a while, a pastor lets someone down or a church lets someone down. If we're real honest about some of the reasons that some of you are here this morning, you're here for those reasons. A church or a pastor or a situation that you were a part of just isn't what it used to be, and you began to look in other places. We're just praising God. You came here and you found the truth and you, you got connected, but many times people drift away from God or drift away from godly things or the truth or the way of behavior because they were disillusioned with a church or a pastor. Sometimes, if we're honest, our priorities begin to shift. It's easy to get into habits or out of habits. It's hard to get back into them. Summertime is one of those experiences where a lot of people travel on the weekends. We camp every weekend. We'll get back into fall. We'll get back to church in the fall. We're just going to do it for a while. Our job is crazy. The kids are at certain points and just going to go away from church for a while, but honest, we'll get back in the fall, and, and then fall comes around, and, and you've gotten out of the habit, you've gotten out of the routine, and people drift away. Priorities begin to change. Sometimes it's a lack of discipleship, a, a lack of connectivity to the church or to a body of believers. One of the reasons we say small groups are so important. It's easy in a church our size with two services when you don't know anybody else who comes to church to, to get lost in the shuffle, get lost in the crowd, not get connected. You love God. You accepted Jesus. You came to faith in Christ, but you didn't get connected, and no one helped you grow in your relationship with God. One of the biggest fears Billy Graham has, he has said through the years, is people that come forward at a convention, they say a prayer, they pray a prayer, or sign a card, but never get connected in a local church. And it's like the parable of the sower that Jesus referred to in the New Testament. Something happens along the way, and they drift away. Again, one of the reasons we emphasize small groups here, one of the reasons that I've been a part of one for the last two and a half years with eight couples that I adore, 
is that I sensed that there was no connectivity. They came to church but weren't really connected with a lot of other people, at least some of them. And so it was a great opportunity for us to stay connected and get connected. And sometimes when that doesn't happen, it's easy to, to drift away and not become faithful or as consistent as you once was. You also notice in this text that it seems to be written not to those who have drifted. They're not there. They're probably not reading it. But he's trying to help those who are there to rescue those who have drifted away. And you know and I know that's not an easy thing to do. People don't like it when you confront them with the fact that, you know what, I haven't seen you in church. Some do, but some kind of resent that. When they see you drifting away from your way of life, the pattern of behavior that once established your love for Jesus, the things you didn't do, now that you were a believer in Christ and all of a sudden you drift back into that behavior and you're not as consistent as you once were in your spiritual values and someone walks into your life and says, I love you enough to point this out. And some people really appreciate that. Some people would rather you mind your own business. And we'll share that with you. But when James writes this, he's writing to all of us saying, there's no better way to understand the heart of God than to rescue those who are lost. If there's one thing that you could do that would really help you identify with a passion and love of Christ, it would be to do exactly what James is saying in these last two verses. Do everything you can to bring them in. Sometimes we're just so happy that we're here, we don't think about those who are not. And James says, I just want you to understand the heart of God. I would love for you just as much as anything else you do in your spiritual walk. Look around every once in a while and recognize maybe some who aren't here. Recognize they have drifted and do everything you can to bring them back. Sometimes we are so content with the fact that we're found, that we're here, that we're worshiping, that we don't even look around and see who may be missing. Someone who has drifted away from the truth or way of behavior and and we want to do everything we can to rescue them. We certainly want to rescue the lost. There's not a one of us in the room that doesn't know somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Anybody here doesn't know one person who doesn't know Jesus at all, or every acquaintance or friend you have knows Jesus? Every one of us knows someone who's lost. And the passion and heart of God is to reach the lost, to rescue those who are without Christ. And maybe many of us in this room know someone who has drifted away, who's not where they used to be, And James finishes some incredible thoughts with saying, do everything you can to bring them home. Do everything you can to bring them back. From chapter 1 all the way to the end, he's been saying that over and over and over and over again. I really believe that you know better understand the heart of God than when you're trying to bring people back who have strayed away. But to do that, on the backside of your sermon notes, you need the wisdom of God. James in chapter 3 says, if you really want to know what to do in certain situations, you better seek God's face. You better seek his wisdom because you have to know when to look, when to search, when sometimes to let them go. As we'll give you an example in a moment. When to let them fall. Let them learn their lesson the hard way. When to establish and and direct tough love. And when then to pick them up. And when sometimes to put them out. Write in your sermon notes somewhere, Luke 15. I'd encourage you to go back sometime today or this week and just read the stories in Luke 15. Probably not a better passage of Scripture to identify what James is trying to say here in these last few verses than Luke 15. Three parables that Jesus tells. Three storytellers. I, in all of my years of ministry, the one thing I wished that I had was the ability to be a great storyteller. 
I love how Jesus is such an incredible storyteller. It's one of the reasons I love listening to Bill Opperman, our youth pastor, talk, because he's just such a great storyteller. Jesus is such a powerful storyteller, and in Luke chapter 15, he kind of gives us some examples of things that were lost and people that were lost and how to respond to that and what to do. First example, of course, is a shepherd who lost one of his sheep. He had a hundred of them, and one of them drifted off, and he really left the other 99. Instead of showing up on church every Sunday morning to speak to those who were there, this pastor would probably leave the church and go out into the byways of life, maybe down to the Clearview uh, area, down where the flea market is taking place, and kind of look for people who are lost. And you'd be here praying for it. You'd be here asking, where is the pastor? Where did he go? Well, he's down at the Clearview flea market trying to rescue the lost. You probably wouldn't think that would be a great idea. But Jesus would have said, I, I think that's a pretty good idea. He let the 99 in the fold and he went out to search for the one who was lost. I hope one of the things that you do out of this message, out of this particular last piece of scripture, is to think every once in a while the people that you work with, the people that you're around, people in your neighborhood, people that you are acquainted with, friends or relatives of yours, we're all going to gather. Yesterday we had a family reunion at our place down at the farm. Many of you have them tomorrow or today. And you probably have somebody in your family who doesn't know the Jesus you know. And I, I pray that more than anything else, God gives you a passion for them, a, a heart for them if they don't know the Jesus you have found. But this week, when you go back to work, you have people all around you who don't know the Christ that you know. James, or Jesus said this, this shepherd would have done everything he could. He'd have left the 99. I'd have left the service today if I would have applied this section of Scripture I'd have gone through the doors to find somebody who was lost. The second analogy that he uses is the woman who lost a coin. She had others, but she lost one and says she turned her house upside down to find the one that was lost. She did everything she could to make sure and, and, and turned the house around. First one just seems to be a, a passion for the lost and he goes out and looks for them. But the second analogy Jesus gives is this unbelievable intensity. Where it says she turned her house upside down to find that one lost coin. The third analogy is the one that you're most familiar with. The story of the prodigal. A son who came to his dad who said, I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you die. I'd love to have it, I'd love to have it now. And, and the father answered that and graciously gave him his inheritance he took off, didn't look back. Remember in some small communities and, that I've been through and or been in, in these last years of my ministry life, I've seen some of these kids who have grown up in a small town who said, I can't wait to get out of this town. And they go, they drive away, they wouldn't look back, wouldn't wave to mom and dad, and they are gone. I do laugh now every once in a while that now some of them are teachers in those very same communities and are living in the area that they grew up in. But you know what it's like when you just want to leave. You don't want to be in a small town or a small community anywhere, and you want to go off and do your own thing. What's fascinating about this one, and that's where I say you need the wisdom of God, is this dad let him go. And sometimes as a parent, you need to know when to pick them up and when to let them fall. Sometimes as a mom or a dad who has a son or a daughter who's drifting off, trying to do their own thing, wanting to establish their own wings, wanting to... Find out for themselves what truth really is. One of the hardest things you'll ever have to do is to let them go and to pray every single day over them and for them. One of the worst things you could do sometimes is to bail them out. 
I know there are a lot of parents in this room who've had sons or daughters that have gotten in some really deep trouble and they tried to wrestle with what to do. They've called me on the phone. What would you do? What do I do? And there are a lot of analogies that I'll give and talk about the shepherd. We'll talk about the woman who turned her house upside down to find what was lost. But we'll also at times say, you've got to remember the story of the prodigal where he had just simply to let him go. Where that son or that daughter has to come to her senses or her senses to recognize how good they had it. How much they were loved. How much they have given up and how lost they are. This young man comes to his senses and says, I have sinned against heaven. I've sinned against my father. Even my father's servants eat, are eating better than I am. And sometimes as a parent, as a son or a daughter who's drifting, sometimes you need to rescue them and other times you need to let them fall. Sometimes you should bail them out and other times you need to let them pay the consequences of the decisions they've made. Which is why, again, you go back to James chapter 3. He said, you need wisdom, you better ask God. Because it needs the wisdom of God to know when to search, when to look, when to bring them back, and when to let them go. When to let them fall, and when to pick them up. If you haven't been there raising children, I guarantee you at one point or the other, you'll wrestle with those consequences, and you'll wrestle with those children. As they're wrestling with their consequences, or the consequences of their decisions. And you are crying, and you're weeping, and you are praying that they'll come to their senses and they'll recognize what they have done or how far away they've drifted. And then to know when to open your arms and bring them home. Phil Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, tells one of the best stories. I'll never be able to tell it as good as him. But one of the best stories of the prodigal daughter who drifted away, went on her own, did her own thing, ended up in places that she would have absolutely never, ever imagined she would have been called, said one day, Daddy, can I come home? That bus trip on the way home, wondering how she was going to be received, wondering if anybody would be there, wondering after all the horrible decisions she's made and the price she paid for her doing her own thing, only to come to that bus station and find hundreds of people there to greet her and welcome her home. As a parent, as a mom or a dad, you've all been there at some point or the other, or maybe will be there at some point, when you want to know, when do I pick them up? When do I let them fall? When do I bring them back? But I hope more than anything else, you recognize the heart of God in this section of Scripture, as well as in Luke chapter 15, when he said he opened his arms and he welcomed him home. Sometimes when they stumble, you need to pick them up. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 is a powerful verse of Scripture. Jot it down somewhere in your sermon notes that may be already there. It says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself very carefully because you too may also be tempted. I have found through my years of experience in ministry that churches don't always do restoration well. They kind of treat everybody who has fallen in sin like Matthew 18, they ought to be excommunicated as opposed to the heart of Scripture, which is all about restoration. Even Matthew 18 is all about restoration. One of the themes that spread all the way through Scripture is restoration, bringing people who have fallen back home, bringing them into the love of God, letting them see the love of Jesus in their lives. Galatians says if someone is caught in sin, which indicates you saw it, it wasn't a rumor, it wasn't just something that someone else said about them, they actually participated, were involved in that sin, they were caught, you knew it, everybody knew it. Instead of putting them down or saying, I can't believe they did that, he said, do everything you can to restore them 
And then he adds this word that you cannot miss in Scripture, gently. But be very careful. Watch yourself. Don't get so cocky to think that you could never do that. I would have never fallen. I'd have never participated in that. I'd have never done that. I can't believe they did that. He said, be very careful, because you too will be tempted. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, if you think you're standing firm, be very, very careful. You too may fall. The message version of that says, don't be naive and self-confident. You are not exempt. Any of you could fall flat on your face as easy as anyone else. James says, do everything you can to bring them home. Sometimes you need to put them out. As Matthew 18 says, or 1 Corinthians 5, where a person was involved in sexual activity, misconduct in the church, and Paul said, enough is enough, put him out. The second Corinthians begins by saying, now bring him back. All of Scripture is a heart of restoration, wanting everything they possibly could to bring one home. Be very careful, very careful how you look at people who have fallen. James says, Paul says over and over again, be very careful it could happen to any of us. We need to be very aware of our own pride, thinking it would never happen to us. Howard Hendricks interviewed 500 pastors who fell, found three things in common. They weren't in the word regularly, they had no accountability, and they never thought it would happen to them. What's disappointing sometimes through the years is people's reaction to those who have fallen. I have his permission to tell the story. I would never do it otherwise. Ten years ago, we had a pastor on our staff who fell morally. We're in our old sanctuary. We brought him on the stage. He had the opportunity to confess, and he did. One of the things that I find unique in all my years of ministry is not many pastors are willing to go through restoration. And one of the things that I found sad in my ministry is not many people will let them go through restoration. One of the saddest statements that I heard, if he ever comes back, I won't be here anymore. With the hall of Scripture is simply bring them home, bring them back, let them come. Recognize the need of sin, recognize the necessity of paying a price or the consequences of sin and bringing them back and letting them come home. We tried so desperately to do the restoration here and we did for a little over a year and then it became uncomfortable when God provided an opportunity for them and minister in uh, another career field and so he moved away and two months ago I got a phone call from a pastor who said can I talk to you about one of the members of your former staff and I said you sure can we had an hour conversation then I called Keith and I said I love what God's doing in your life because in about a week from now or two weeks from now he's going to go back to school in a years-long seminary process and take a church and be a pastor and I think that couldn't be better because that's what really the heart of God is all about Sometimes it's easy to overreact and say, well, we wouldn't do that, and I'd never do that. And sometimes it's easy to underreact and say, hey, no big deal. Said he was sorry. The heart of God is to do everything we possibly can to bring them home and to rescue and redeem and see all that God can do in their life and through their life. And I said, I'd love to tell your story in this final day because there are a lot of people for the last number of years that have been praying for you. And just to know that you're going back in ministry all my years of ministry, I know five who fell morally and as God has brought them back and restored them and now they're in active ministry again. Sometimes we don't know what to do with that. James, Paul said, be very, very careful how you look at someone. You too could be in the same capacity.
He finishes with two amazing statements. As someone who brings that sinner back, one of the things that struggle the, or theologians wrestle with with this passage of Scripture is we're worthy in their relationship with God. I hinted last Sunday morning, I, I was, found it fascinating that I only got one email over my statement in regards to eternal security. That's where a lot of this comes from, the differences in theology on that particular issue. Some will say, well, the individual is never saved to begin with. You would have never drifted away if they really knew Jesus Christ. Once you tasted the fruit, nothing will ever pluck you out of my Father's hand. God very clearly tells us that. But he also very clearly tells us that we have a free will to do what we want. He will never force himself on anyone. And the same free will that brought you into the Father's hand by the same free will, many can walk out and have walked out. You know it and I know it. One of the things that we preach in the CNMA is not necessarily eternal security or once saved, always saved, but eternal security of the believer. We can all decide and wrestle with that statement, well, they were never saved to begin with, and when they come back to Christ, what do they need to do, get resaved all over again? Honestly, we've been debating that for 2,000 years. One of the things that almost every Christian theologian agrees with, these people who walk away from Christ are really in deep trouble. And they need to turn around, come back, and repent, and come home. The thing that you'll notice here is not wrestling with whether or not they're saved to begin with or whether they were lost or whether they ever found Christ to begin with, but how we can be involved in the ministry of reconciliation. It doesn't even leave it up for debate whether they were saved or not. It just simply said, do everything you can to bring them home. We've wrestled with the other for 2,000 years, still haven't come to the same conclusions, but he does say you need to do everything you can to bring them back. To take the initiative, not just simply ignore them. Well, they used to be here, but they're not anymore. It doesn't really matter. We've got enough here but to do everything we can to find them, to take the initiative, to pray over them, to show the love of Jesus Christ with love and grace and tenderness and compassion more than condemnation and judgment. He also says that you will save their soul from death, and Scripture very clearly talks to us about the wages of sin is death. But we need to do everything we can to show the love of Jesus Christ over them, with them, and through them, and for them and to rescue them and bring them home. This is Fourth of July weekend, and many of you know that. I've chosen not to do a Fourth of July sermon. But if we think about it for a moment, this nation and, and what it was founded on, as you saw some of the clips this morning, and if you've had the opportunity to watch the American Experiment and the Truth Project, if you watched one video out of that project, you need to watch that one as to the roots of this nation and what it was founded on. But if there's anything or any entity, if we're not talking about people anymore, but an entity that has drifted away from the truth, it is this nation. I want to show a video clip out of that truth project for a minute, and then we're going to pray.
which has produced so much good for so many people will continue to exist. There is no guarantee of that. If it's going to continue to exist, it's going to continue to exist because people have reflected on our roots, have rediscovered them, have taught those principles to their children, and have worked energetically for the preservation of that civilization. This morning as we close, I'd just like you to pray where you are. Got to believe that as we prayed last Sunday morning at the end of the message, some of us, maybe many of us, have someone in our family who has drifted away. Last Sunday morning I prayed with some folks, and I know uh, some of you know someone who has drifted away from the truth. Not a better way to end this series or end this section of Scripture than to just spend a couple of moments praying for them. Maybe you have a family member, or maybe you have an acquaintance, Others of you in this room know someone who was lost in your workplace, in your neighborhood, maybe again in your family. And then I'd love for us just to spend a moment praying for our nation. It is a great nation. I can't tell you how proud I am when I lay my passport down, when I walk back into this country in customs and say I'm a citizen of the United States of America. But I, as many of you I know, are deeply concerned with who we are and how far away from the truth we have drifted. God said, if my people who are called by my name will confess their sins, humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then and only then will I heal. Well, let's spend some time praying for those this morning, and then we'll just close real quickly. Let's pray. Father, hear our hearts. It's all over this audience. We lift up our hearts and our prayers and our cries to you this morning. This morning, you have heard the heart of a mom or a dad who is praying for their child, their son or their daughter who has walked away. 
You've heard some moms and dads pray for a brother or sister that's in their family that has walked away when they as a family were raised by the truth or in the truth. And so as you've heard these hearts cry, I pray that they're not just simply words that we have thrown up toward the ceiling, but they become a part of not just simply our prayer life, but our way of life where we do everything we can to bring them home. Help us to never, ever take for granted our own position in you and to stay as connected with you as we possibly can as we continue to grow and mature and walk in faith. And Lord, I pray for this nation. I love this land. I love what it stands for. I love what it was founded on. I gotta believe your heart breaks when you see us as a nation drifting so far away from the truth. Tell us what to do. Tell us where to go and how to help, where to get involved, how to respond. Not just simply say it in words, but say it in activity, which is what this section is all about. Thank you for blessing us with your truth, for teaching us your way, for preserving your word that is life and energy and direction. Continue to guide us as we seek its face, as we seek its direction, as we spend time in it day after day after day. May we grow in our knowledge of the word and our ability to be able to connect what it is that it does to us and says to us personally and how to live the life that you've called us to. Thank you for allowing us to spend this time together in James and for what you've taught us. May your word continue to create fire and passion in our soul as we continue to walk with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I trust you have a great, great 4th of July weekend with your family and friends. We prayed with some last Sunday morning who have some family members who are drifting. We'd love to do that. Did have one emailed me or texted me just yesterday, said the one that we prayed for last Sunday came home this week. I don't know where that's at spiritually, but they came home. And uh, if you're one of those this morning that we can pray with, we'd love to do that. God bless you. Have a